We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right, it is hour number two on a bloody merry Friday. Cajun rim in your eye if you are watching on the radio.com app as well as those of you listening, I'll tell you all about it. Three olives, tall Bloody Mary. It is officially Friday, a Fly Eagles Fly Friday. We'll check in with John Marks from WIP Radio in Philadelphia about how excited everyone is in Philly after a season-saving win over the Green Bay Packers. This is Home and Home at Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter we'll talk to john we'll also ask why troy aikman the hall of famer is just so sensitive but we start this hour with uncle rico how much you want to make a bet i can throw a football over them mountains yeah coach would put me in the fourth quarter we would in state champions yeah no doubt in my mind (laughs) uncle rico uncle rico i don't know if that was any good ross was it any good it was pretty good it was pretty it was I'll tell you what was good about. It. I'll tell you what was good about it. Yeah. All right. Um, you kind of look like potentially a young Uncle Rico. You don't have the mustache, but I, I can see Uncle Rico when he was younger, looking like you, uh, handsome devil. And also, I like the way you ended it. Like I would know, you know, the first part of it, like how much you think I can, how much you want back and throw football over those mountains. But when you were like, huh? Or yeah, or whatever you said at the end of it, like it's that it was that little extra finish where you knew exactly how he did it that really made it. You know, he's an understated guy. I'd rather act out like a real dramatic scene so you can get over the top, but he was very uh, low-key in that part. And why are we talking about Uncle Rico? Well, because he was spotted in Jacksonville yesterday with that burnt orange, creepy-ass van that you know and love from Napoleon Dynamite, the terrific movie. Because a lot of people have been drawing comparisons between Uncle Rico and Gardner Minshew and Minshew Mania. It happened because of a T-shirt was spotted on the Internet. And then the comparison started spinning out of control. Uncle Rico apparently in Jackson to meet with Gardner Minshew and tape some sort of ESPN spot that I think we'll see on Sunday. So here's the photo of Uncle Rico yesterday in Jacksonville with Gardner Minshew. That is is so terrific and look at the caption there so they're not the same person both have the headband the long funky hair and the mustache that's why you watch radio.com app don't just listen you gotta watch to see tweets just like that and the Minshew mania continues and not just because he's played well because he does bizarre things like wear the cutoff jeans with t-shirts and washington shirts and jerseys and the stash and the head the hair and the headband of the whole thing, but also he's done some very bizarre things in the past. One was brought to light this week when talking with reporters, because at one point at East Carolina, he apparently tried to break his hand in order to get a medical red shirt. Obviously not such a good idea. It didn't work. Gardner Minshew talked about that with the Jacksonville media this week. We learned something new every week about you. Last week was the hand. Can you take us back through that story, the breaking of the hand, or almost thinking about breaking the hand? Yeah, so the attempted broken hand. Um, it was like, I mean, that was really the only way for me to get a get a red shirt, you know, at the time, just to get a medical. Um, so I had the bright idea to try to break my hand, um, but it didn't work, you know, I guess fortunately. I mean, I was, looking back, it was pretty dumb. Um, believe it or not, that breaking your hand is pretty dumb. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, but that's, that's just, I always tell people, you know, what would you do to play more ball? And that's damn near anything. All right. So it's also the stretching in the locker room naked or in a jock strap doing bands, a lot of bizarre stuff when it comes to Minshew mania, I would contend 
it's not focus that he wants on the antics. Most of these stories, most of the ridiculous outfits are from Pullman, Washington, when he was at Washington State. Very few of the stories, the antics, or the outfits have happened here in Jacksonville, where the focus should be on, in my estimation, his outstanding play. 74% completion percentage. He's throwing the deep ball extraordinarily well for a young quarterback, guy that was drafted in the seventh round, five touchdowns, one interception, almost 700 yards passing in three games. Although it is bizarre, Ross, that the one and two Jaguars, 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 I think I got it right this time, are getting this much publicity and this much press for a team that probably has no real shot to even make the playoffs. Yeah, you know what? And I think a lot of times fan bases like this, and I can, wow, you're already getting a, a Bloody Mary sip in, huh? Oh, yeah, buddy. I'm ready. Wow. 9 11 a.m. <laughs> Eastern time. Wow. Very, very, very jealous, by the way, that you're already getting a uh, a, a Bloody Mary sip in at I 9 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah, good for you. Um, so I would say this, and I can speak to this having been in. Big markets like the Dallas Cowboys, the New England Patriots versus small market like the Buffalo Bills. At some level, Dave, those people really just crave relevance and really just like it when they're being talked about. Like Bills fans loved when they signed T.O. Just because they knew people would be talking about the Bills, that the Bills had a star, the Bills had T.O., the Bills were going to be one of the subjects of conversation. I think Jags fans, number one, are probably encouraged about Gardner Minshew as a player. But more than that, he's just kind of something cool and unique that everybody's talking about nationally, and he's theirs in Jacksonville. There's a lot of conversation, negative conversation about Jalen Ramsey. It's nice to have something positive like they have in Gardner Minshew. But is it annoying if your teammates and all the talk is about the antics? Take me inside that locker room and you're just like, all right, enough about the stretch of naked or the mustache. Does that get annoying to a team? You know, I can't remember a similar example from when I played. I would say, though, it probably is entirely dependent on how they feel about him. Like if they love him and they think he's an awesome guy, then they probably are happy about it. They're probably like happy for him. If he's not really quite like that behind the scenes and they don't love him, then absolutely they would be getting annoyed and wouldn't like it and would be over it. But if they like him and he's a good guy, which is my guess, I don't think they would bother. I think they'd probably think it's funny and they're happy for him. If he keeps playing the way he has and goes and beats the Broncos this weekend, which hurts me to say I would best they probably will. A world of suck is what <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders said about my Broncos. Still no sacks through three games. All right, you heard my Uncle Rico impression. Let's hear the real deal and see how well I did. Listen. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. Kill. I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. <laughs> right on. Wrap it up. Right on. <laughs> Uncle Rico is a freaking legend. I think we hung on to the sod a little too long. Or maybe I didn't memorize enough of the dialogue but i think a, a decent uh, impression on my behalf can't wait for that ad i think we'll see it on sunday well that for you on dildo monday here on home and home but we move on to another quarterback who does have some credentials and he's troy aikman you might have heard of him 
He is a Hall of Famer, of course, Dallas Cowboys, three-time Super Bowl champion. But on that long, impressive resume, now a terrific broadcaster in the NFL as well, he should also say he's uh, a little too sensitive for a guy who's accomplished all that because the last tweet still on his timeline from three days ago really has lit up the Internet. So the Athletic in Kansas City, in case you missed it, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 36% of Troy Aikman's career touchdowns in about 8% of the games. Troy Aikman, in case you missed it, quote tweets, to me, or talk to me when he has 33% of my Super Bowl titles, talk to me when he's won a ring. I don't know, man. He said afterwards, I love Patrick Mahomes. I just found this way too sensitive for a guy that's accomplished all that Troy Aikman has, Hall of Famer, three rings, one of the greats in NFL history and Cowboys history. Ross, why be so sensitive, man? Uh, you know, that's interesting because that wasn't my take or perspective on it at all. I thought it was awesome. You know, for a guy in Troy Aikman that comes across as very buttoned up on television, never really says anything that controversial or really anything that worthy. I don't mean that to say he's a bad analyst. I don't think he is. I think he's a good analyst. But I just can't remember us ever talking about something that Troy Aikman said on Monday. <laughs> Other than Eagles and Giants and Redskins fans saying he's biased towards the Cowboys or whatever, I just don't recall that. So I guess I look at it, and I just like to see some fire from Troy. I like to see him kind of snap back like that. And he's right. I mean, it's a different era, totally different time. It's kind of silly for them to even be comparing the two, which I think was his bigger point. But also he's like, hey – I was out there trying to win. We ran the ball a lot with Emmett. I was trying to win games. Why don't you talk to me when Mahomes wins a Super Bowl? I understand your point, Dave, because my wife says to me to be above Twitter trolls. You know, every once in a while I might reply back to one of them and she'll say, why do you do that? Why do you give them? That's what they want. Why, why do you give them that satisfaction and just be above them? So I understand your perspective. It's the same perspective my wife would have. But when you're the person being called out, every once in a while it's nice or fun to just stick to them a little bit, especially when they post something that's really dumb. Like, why even have Troy Aikman in there as the comparison? It's just stupid. It really is. They could have picked any quarterback. It's like, let's find a guy that – you know, didn't play that long, but had a bunch of Super Bowls, but didn't throw that many touchdowns. Oh, Troy Aikman. Okay. Like, I can understand why he's annoyed by it. It's just part of the reason I suck at Twitter. I mean, this works. This is what you're supposed to do, man. You're supposed to engage with things like this. And that has been retweeted 29,000 times and liked almost 200,000 times. That's what you have to do to be relevant on Twitter. So I'm going to take a note from Troy Aikman and try that myself sometimes. Uh, for note, though, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 60 touchdowns over his last 19 regular season games. 60 in his last 19 regular season games. There's only one better stretch in NFL history. That was Peyton Manning, who threw 64 in that record-smashing run there he had with Denver. And then, of course, on this list, Troy Aikman's best stretch was 26 touchdowns. It did seem like a strange shot to take. Perhaps they should have used Marino or Favre or Luck or somebody else, but it proved to be pretty effective in that capacity. And by the way, Troy Aikman, I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes plays first regular season game inside this weekend. I can't imagine what he's going to continue to shred these records. Now that he gets his first game inside, this guy is just going to wreck it. That, those numbers certainly will continue. In just a bit, more from the Philadelphia angle. The season saver for the Eagles and their win over Green Bay. Have they found the playbook that works going forward in terms of that running game, utilizing the offensive line? Or are there bigger problems in their secondary? Two injuries, 400-plus passing yards for Aaron Rodgers and a lot of penalties What's the takeaway? We'll ask John Marks from WIP Radio in just a bit. But first, 
Hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones, and that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. Results like that, no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free, just like the Radio.com app for free right now. Here's the address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And the best way to find out just how passionate the Philadelphia Eagles fan base is, we like to go into home markets on this show here, Home and Home. We get the local flavor, the local feel, the local passion. Sometimes it's negative, and sometimes it is feeling Friday. Let's listen to some callers from WIP Radio celebrating that 34-27 win over the Packers on Thursday Night Football. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'll go outside for a while and just smile. Good morning. The football season started last night. Good morning, family. More singing. Good morning. Rogers back. He pumps. He fires. It is intercepted under the deflection. Yeah! Woo! We won! We won! <laughs> we won! Down down the Packers! Eagles always win. Go get them. Eagles always win. Now you're going to talk about them. Never going to forget about them. What? Eagles always win. You know what I mean? Go get them. See, that's how we going to get them. Don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block. First I had a little, now I got a lot. Most of all, I know where I came from. Boom. Boom is right. Ross Tucker bringing some Jennifer Lopez, John Marks from WIP Radio, joining us to celebrate the Eagles win. And John, what did you think of Ross Tucker's Jennifer Lopez impression right there on a scale of one to ten? I thought it was J-Lo. I was like, wow, this is impressive. <laughs> J-Lo on the show with me. It's a tough act to follow, but good job, Ross. John, good to see you. Good to talk with you, man. Uh, I'll start with a broad-based question. Just what was your biggest takeaway from last night? I know there's probably about a million, but your single biggest takeaway from that huge Eagles win? Well, they won a game that they probably shouldn't have won, right? I mean, the Packers had the ball twice late inside the one-yard line, and they, they held them, and they, they did what they needed to get it done. And when you look at the Eagles since the 2017 Super Bowl, they were going into last night's game. They were, I believe, 11-10, and 10, and they've lost games between 2018 and 2019 last week to the, to the Lions, and a Super Bowl team you would think would win. And last night, difficult circumstance going up to Lambeau. I know the Packers were 3-0 and and maybe didn't have the feel of a 3-0 and team, but still Aaron Rodgers was awesome last night. Devontae Adams going down was a, was a big part of the game, but Eagles found a way to win. Carson Wentz didn't put up big numbers outside of the touchdowns, but I felt like his impact on the game was far greater than some of the games he throws for 300 yards in. So they did what they did. They did what they had to do to get it done. Their defense got shredded most of the game but they made plays and this team hasn't been making plays the last two weeks and they got it done. Can't help but wonder what would have happened if Devonte Adams was on the field for that last sequence. He was not. We'll see what happens with that turf toe moving forward. But Jordan Howard, how much did that surprise you and all of Eagles nation with that type of performance? Only second three TD game of his career. 
Yeah, it's amazing. When, a lot of times on WIP, when we take a lot of phone calls, people want to see more Jordan Howard, more Jordan Howard. And Doug Peterson actually, I don't think he heard the fans, but he knew he needed to do a better job, especially after Miles Sanders, the rookie, put the ball on the carpet a couple times. Um, Jordan Howard's good. You know, the, the Bears kind of saw what he was and elected to move on from him. They weren't going to re-sign him long term. But Jordan Howard's an important part of this offense. You don't want Doug Peterson to get too pass happy with Carson Wentz. The more time Carson Wentz drops back, the more times he's, he's there to get hit. So running the ball effectively, which is what they did last night, is very important. And Miles Sanders gives you the, the big play breakout ability. But Jordan Howard, just as, he's just as solid as they come. And he was a big part last night. Was I surprised? I would have started him in fantasy if I if I knew he was going to do that last night. But it was a it was a great night for Jordan Howard for sure. John, I've seen where Elliot Shore Parks, who's a Radio.com NFL insider, he also hosts the Prevent Defense podcast, and he's all over WIP there in Philly, which is a Radio.com affiliate. I saw where he wrote that he thinks this is the biggest win of Carson Wentz's career, which I haven't I haven't even got a chance to read the story yet. I've been on the air, and I haven't gone through and thought all of them. Is that true? Is this the biggest win in Wentz's career? Well, if you go back to 2017, a lot of the wins that they had were they came out early, they just beat the crap out of teams, and by the end, it was they were more or less running the ball out because they had big leads, and then they were hurt. And then Carson got hurt in the Rams game. And really, from there, you don't remember anything else. Carson in 2017 was playing in an MVP clip, but there wasn't a signature win. There wasn't that moment where back against the wall, you needed a win, one and two in Lambeau. You fall to one and three, 14% of teams, I believe since 1990, make the playoffs if you fall to one and three. So the Eagles are, are, are looking at Aaron Rodgers, Lambeau Field, uh, a team that, that has injuries, especially on offense. I know Alshon was back this week, and he was a huge help. But this was, I'm not going to say a defining game for Carson Wentz, but this was really one of the first signature wins that you've seen from him. Last year, he put up great numbers. Look at his stats. I mean, completion percentage almost 70%. Touchdown to interception ratio, 3-1. to Big-time yards per game when he was playing. He hasn't had those big stats this year, but he's been more effective. And more importantly, he's had more impact on the game even though he didn't, he didn't have high completion percentage last night and he didn't have the big yard game that Aaron Rodgers has, his impact in key moments was something that I look at. I agree with Elliot. I think that was his best win as an Eagle, certainly. Yeah, you mentioned Rodgers, 34 of 53, 422, two touchdowns. The Packers get almost 500 yards total offense, shocking in a loss at home. How big a concern is that secondary? Avante Maddox looks like he was hurt in that one. Uh, you had another injury, Sidney Jones in the secondary. There is a major problem on that back end. Yeah, and Sidney Jones is a guy that hasn't been able to stay healthy since he came into the league. He's, he sat out his first year because he was injured, if you remember, coming out of Washington. And then he just kind of hamstring injuries, this injury, that injury. Avante Maddox, a scary injury last night. It seems like that, that he is doing okay. But you're right. Jalen Mills was your second corner on the Super Bowl team. And he's on the physically unable to perform list. They're hoping he's be, going to be able to come back as the season gets going. But, I mean, at this point, if you don't have Avante Maddox and you don't have Sidney Jones, you and Ron Darby's out for what's probably close to a month, and he, was not, he wasn't playing great when he was in there, you're going back to what you had last year, which was guys coming off the street that weren't on NFL rosters that now are having to play. So – is that a concern for the Eagles? You're damn right it's a concern for the Eagles. It was a concern before these guys got hurt. And Ross will tell you this. It's one thing to have a secondary that's a little bit suspect. It's another thing to have a pass rush that's pretty much been non-existent. Now, they were a little bit better last night. But going into last night's game, they had one sack by a defensive lineman. One sack. They had two sacks total. One sack by a defensive lineman. So if you can't apply pressure to the quarterback and you can't get to the quarterback and your back end is, is, is a problem – that's a huge problem. Forget about last night, but going forward, that's a huge problem in this league. John, I know you're on from 2 to 6 with Ike Reese on the afternoon drive there on WIP, and I'm curious, do you think you will get more calls about how great the win was by this afternoon or more calls clamoring for the Eagles to trade for Jalen Ramsey? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I can tell you, Ike, uh, Ike Reese is going to lead that uh, Ramsey patrol to try to get him. It, I, I think it's going to be a good mixture of both. People are going to be happy after last night's game. And it was weird. Before the Atlanta game, a lot of Eagles fans thought that that was one of those bad spots where it was a desperate Atlanta team at home, Sunday night football, they were going to win. Kind of played out how a lot of people thought. Last night, not just fans being confident their team's going to win, but fans recognizing Packers 3-0, and Eagles really desperate, got the win. So I think they're going to be happy about that. But being 2-2, two and two, now you start thinking about, all right, we're back to where we thought we were going to be, which is Super Bowl contenders. And you're not going to be a Super Bowl contender unless you improve that secondary. And the guy that's trying his best to get out of Jacksonville, trying his damnedest, is Jalen Ramsey. And I feel like Howie Roseman knows that he's important, not just for this year. It's also important for the future. So, Ross, to answer your question, when we start teeing it up at 2 o'clock to get Jalen Ramsey, people will follow and respond. Do you understand that that Roseman is in the Jalen Ramsey sweepstakes? Have they, from any reporting, made an offer? It sounds like a first and a second is what it's going to take. Yeah, um, you know, you, you kind of have to read between the lines. So you, I haven't seen an official report that said the Eagles have offered something and Howie Roseman's normally involved in a lot of conversations when anybody's available on the market. I mean, last year, Le'Veon Bell, there was a lot of talk that the Eagles were interested. And I feel like Howie's always making phone calls. But there's a difference between making phone calls and making a deal. And if you sit around too long and you try to nickel and dime the Jags and say, well, we'll give you a first and a four, and the Chiefs sweep in and they give you a first and a second, you're going to lose out. And the most important thing is getting a player. This isn't a rental. This is a player that's 24 years old that you're going to want here for the next six, seven years. And I know he's a pain in the butt, but you have to you have to manage him. And I feel like this organization with Doug Peterson and with Howie Roseman can manage a player like Jalen Ramsey. He wants to be paid. He wants to win. He wants to be respected. And that's something that Doug really gets. So go out and get the player. You know, go out and get the player. If it's a first and a second, if it's two ones, I know it's not, I know it's not an NFL-type move to give up two ones. That's a lot of value. But if you're picking in the 20s, which is where the Eagles are probably going to be picking the next two years, then it's, it's not a big of, as big of a deal. The bottom line is getting the player. You have a window right here to try to win another Super Bowl and go improve your team. And there's nobody out there that's going to do that like Jalen Ramsey. John, I'm curious because Dave and I were debating earlier about the Avante Maddox play that was challenged and not overturned for possible pass interference. Dave and I disagree. I want to get your thoughts. Do you think that they absolutely should have overturned that and thrown the flag as it was past interference and that the Eagles got away with one there? Or are you okay with the fact that they didn't, the officials did not think that that merited throwing a pass interference penalty? Well, I thought it was pass interference, but again, this is where you, you, you get caught. What is the NFL exactly trying to do? And are they learning the pass interference replay on the fly, which is like what it, what it feels like they're doing? Um, my understanding was going into the year that it was for egregious pass interference calls. It was for, it was for plays that, like, how the hell do you miss that? A guy gets yanked down. It was pass interference, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I thought there was enough to see that. But is the NFL going for the obvious, like, oh, come on, man, you can't miss that call. I don't think that was the call. Was it pass interference? Yeah, it was pass interference. But if Al Riveron in the NFL don't want ticky-tack calls or, less it's pass interference, but it's not totally over-the-top pass interference, then I guess that's what they were doing. Here's the thing. I don't know if they know what they're doing, right? That's the problem with this pass interference thing. The, 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 the offensive pass interference on Zach Ertz um, – in the first half, that was a, that was a good use of overturning a pass interference. That was ridiculous that they called an offensive pass interference on that. And I thought it was it was obvious and it was ridiculous that it was called. The Avante Maddox, if if I'm a Packer fan, I'm pretty ticked off this morning because it was pass interference. But I don't know if that's what the league. So so to answer your question, Ross, I would say that they got it right more than they got it wrong in not overturning that. I am so surprised. You both said it was pass interference, but you both said you're okay with the fact that they didn't overturn it. I mean, that's the whole point of overtur of having it <laughs> reviewable. You both said it's pass interference. Everyone saw it was pass interference. Yes. Get off the fence. Jesus. <laughs> well, we're no, not I mean, on the it, fence. It, it, yes, no, you we're are. not on you're the fence. Saying, it's, it's, you're saying, yes, it's pass interference, but I'm okay with the fact that they didn't overturn it. 
It's not clear, but it's not clear and obvious. It's egregious, right? That wasn't egregious. It was clear and obvious, but it, but it wasn't like if he would have put him in a headlock when the ball was in the air, fine. But you know, I mean, come on, Dave. <laughs> so, hey, hey, hold right. a second. All right, Dave. Let me chime in here. Let me chime in here quick. Okay, John. I I, I want John. Let's play make believe for a second, okay? All right. I'm gonna Dave. Oh, let's pretend that roles were reversed. And that was a Packers DB doing that to an Eagles wide receiver. Take me into what your four hours of glorious radio would be like today. Yeah, we'd be mad. We'd be, we'd be, I mean, but here's the other thing. It was a huge part of the game. It was a huge part of the game. It would be fun. There's nothing better than bitching about the, the refs and the NFL has given us more opportunities with, um, with the, the pass interference penalty review. So we appreciate it. But you will get some happy callers today. John Marks, WIP. Follow him on Twitter, John Marks Media. Good to see you, man. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, John. All right. Coming up in just a bit, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll turn to college football and basketball when we come back. Is Jim Harbaugh on his way out in the next, well, over the next season? And what about the University of Kansas? Is there a major penalty coming their way? And what can they learn from what happened to Georgia Tech? Plus, we'll preview some weekend action. There's some weekend actions, a couple of games tonight as well. Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports talking college sports when we come back. All right, we love hearing your feedback here on Home and Home. Send us a message. James says, enjoy your Bloody Marys this weekend as much as I'm enjoying listening to home and home. Cheers to you, James, and cheers to Bloody Marys as well. I'm going to continue my tirade now on overly sensitive people in 2019 and the story of Carson King. You may have heard it because Carson King appeared here on this program a couple of weeks ago. He's the kid that held up that sign asking for beer money to Venmo him at college game day. Turns out money started pouring in, and there is the sign for those of you watching on radio.com that money started pouring 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 into the point that carson knew i gotta do something i can't actually take this money and go buy beer beyond a case of bush he's got to do something talk to his parents they decided to donate all the money to a children's hospital in iowa well before he knew it he had hundreds of thousands of dollars in that account venmo and bush decided to match anything he raised and by the time it was all said and done, more than $1 million was going to Iowa Stead Children's Family Hospital in Iowa. What a remarkable story about the humanity, the power of college game day. My faith in humanity was restored temporarily. So then the Des Moines Register had a reporter go look into Carson King's background and found some apparently racist tweets when which a 16-year-old Carson King was quoting the show Tosh.0 and something that certainly would sound racist if you didn't consider the context. Bush Beer apparently did not consider the context. They dropped out from supporting him and cleaned their Twitter feed of any acknowledgement of Carson King. Well, this story has new life this morning. That Des Moines Register reporter who checked out Carson King he, too, had some apparently racist-leaning tweets. He is now fired. And the Des Moines Register, Ross, they tweeted this morning, we've heard from hundreds of you about Carson King. We took appropriate action because there's nothing more important than having readers trust. Beyond the fact that we're too sensitive and that social media in the end sucks, what's the lesson you learned from this whole wide, tangling story? Uh, that if you are going to be the type of person that tries to dig up dirt on somebody, you better be sure that you don't have any dirt yourself. I mean, Dave, you probably <laughs> deal with this kind of stuff all the time on the politics side of things, but this is hilarious to me. I got to be honest with you. I find people that take the time to go back and try to find bad tweets from people from eight years ago, I find that to be disgusting. I mean, what type of life is that? What 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 existence are you living 
if that's what you do for a living, you go back and try to find tweets from when someone was a teenager that make them look bad. That is pathetic. I love that that guy had his own bad tweets. I love that he got fired. It restored my faith in humanity. This has turned out to be a great story since that dude got fired. He got what he deserved. And, you know, we still support Carson King. We understand this is a great young man trying to do some fantastic things. We're going to bring him back on the program and talk about all this once it's all calmed down. But now let's bring in Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports to talk more about college sports, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What did, what did you think of that whole situation, Pete? It was like the quintessential modern media story, right, Dave? You know what I mean? Like, you felt so good for so long, and then it was like a Harlan Coben novel. There was this twist. You're like, no, not Carson King. God. And then at the end, there was maybe some sort of poetic justice served to the uh, to, to the reporter in the, uh, in the in the end of it all. But I, I, my biggest disappointment was that, you know, he had raised a million. It could have been two. And it just like slammed the brakes on any momentum for what was really good, really organic, really genuine good things. I mean, I don't know you guys too well, but Ross, would you have just kept the beer and the money and run or would you have donated to a children's hospital? I mean, there was such good intentions here. <laughs> well, when I we had Carson on uh, last week and when he told us what his job was. I specifically asked him if he was sure he didn't want to keep a little bit more of that money <laughs> um, as opposed to donating. I mean, I, I, if it got to a million, Pete, I would have absolutely been willing to donate some of the money. I don't know that I would have donated all of it, though. If I was 24 years old, uh, working part-time security, I think, like Carson King. Um, I, speaking of kings, we, we gotta, I got to ask you about this, Pete. You and I were in Oklahoma together, and we saw Derek King, the quarterback for the Houston Cougars. I actually saw him a couple weeks later when they played Washington State. I did two of his four games this year. He is redshirting. I guess it's a two-part question, Pete, is number one, do you believe he's actually going to stay at Houston after this year? So this is an opinion. And it's a strong opinion. There's zero chance he's going to stay at Houston this year. Uh, after this year, sorry, he'll 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 play it out. You know, you, you don't want to hurt Houston with an APR hit. You don't want to hurt your own academic situation. But I have better chance of being the Patriots' left tackle than De'Aaron King does coming back to Houston. It just wouldn't make it just wouldn't make any sense, and it would be completely counterintuitive to the environment that's been fostered for the last five years. I think the bigger question, Ross, is does he go somewhere to play quarterback or be a receiver? Does he realize that he's Greg Ward 2.0, which is a high compliment. Greg Ward was a heck of a college player, and he's on the Eagles roster now. And go learn to be a receiver at another school. And that would be the only scenario where I think he would stay at Houston. But I've done this long enough to know the mentality of quarterbacks, and they want to be quarterbacks. Quarterbacks don't want to told, like Tim Tebow doesn't want to be told he's a tight end. Uh, smaller, more athletic guys don't want to be told they're slot receivers quarterbacks grow up being quarterbacks there's a mentality and an aura that comes with it i can't see derek king changing from that and there's always you know there's plenty of success stories about guys who go you know and in, in, in uh transform into receivers once they uh once they start going through the draft process and, and find the reality of it but there's just no way he's gonna stay um, and the, the statements that he and Keith Corbin, the receiver, put out to me were just, let's save face. Let's not make this look as messy as it is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. King was very close with former coach Major Applewhite. He was not happy that Applewhite was fired. Um, the system completely changed. And look, I have no problem with what De'Ara King is doing. When he signed at Houston with Tom Herman, he didn't sign up for three different coaches in four years. So why shouldn't he go find a, a situation that's going to suit him when he landed in a situation that he did, he clearly doesn't think suits him? That's interesting, Pete, because I was that that's the follow up in my mind, which is is this where we are now? This isn't a guy that got benched. This isn't a guy that you know is never going to play. He's the starting quarterback of the team during the season. Uh, I understand guys going for better situations or looking out for themselves, but wow, this is one. 
And and you're right, it makes no sense to come back to Houston next year. But this is one this this is kind of starting to bother me, Pete. And I'm wondering if this will be a trend. Well, I mean, did it bother you when Todd Graham left Pitt after a year and went to Arizona State? The players are just following the lead for the coaches, Ross. You know, and it's a multi-billion dollar business. So let's throw out any antiquated notion of loyalty to the school and all that stuff. Forget it, man. It's a cutthroat place. Assistants are blowing through after a year and doubling their salary. To me, this is D.R. King saying, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to do what's best for me. And that's a hard deal to do. And it's you, you understand the locker room dynamics of this, Ross, way better than I ever would. But I think at the end of the day, it's hard for me to sit here and criticize Derek King for doing what he's watched a generation of coaches do before him. And that's go find the right situation where he's going to be able to maximize his value. Sure. But when you're the starting quarterback after four games, I think some strings attached to that rule would be helpful. If you have played X amount of snaps, you cannot take advantage of this rule for Kelly Bryant. Certainly makes sense. Want to move on. And we're talking with Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports to what was said by the Ohio State athletic director gene smith and this is regarding the whole california effort that would allow players to make money from their image or likeness they've got a, a law that just needs to be signed into law by the governor there gavin newsom it's also spreading new york south carolina also jumping on board wouldn't go into effect till 2023 but what the ohio state ad gene smith said and by the way he is co-chairs the name image and likeness committee for the ncaa he essentially said they won't be members of the NCAA if they pass that law. California schools would not, he said, be members of the NCAA. I think that's going to be the problem. Where are we headed with this clash of the titans between the NCAA and states trying to help compensate athletes for their image or likeness? So to me, Dave, the biggest takeaway from that statement from Gene Smith was that he is on that committee of name, image, and likeness. And a lot of insiders in college sports felt like Mark Emmert stacked the deck with people who philosophically aligned with him who were on that committee. Gene Smith clearly has a, uh, clearly has a you know, very, very distinct personal view on this that he, that he shared through the prism of him being the athletic director at Ohio State. And so... I would. I have been under the impression that we'll see some sort of name, image, and likeness. Something has to give. Something has to cave. Where you know this week's the two-year anniversary of the federal college basketball scandal that showed just exactly how extensive that sports black market was. Football has its own black market. Let's not be naive here. Um, there is. There are intricate ways that recruits are getting paid all across the country, and you know the the NCAA has generally chosen to stick its head in the sand on this. And, you know, people don't really want to know how it's all working. They just love the product so much. They love the NCAA tournament. They love bowl season. They love every single Saturday in college football, just like we do. So I just thought the chaos of the last two years in the basketball space could nudge us closer to something like that. Now, it will be extremely messy when they do pass it. You're going it, to it is going to be a paradigm shift. But I just feel like with the litigation in California, the litigation in New York, we are nudging closer there. And the old Garden College Athletics clearly doesn't like it. You saw uh, TCUAD Jeremiah Donati had some very strong, somewhat naive and idealistic comments earlier this week. Um, those that is that is the establishment's view, and clearly, the establishment hasn't changed much in their purview because of the actions of the last two years. So my question is, Pete, have you come up with a way in your mind, you're a very bright guy, to how this would work in a manner in which the boosters did not essentially take over recruiting operations and essentially have guarantees for what the name and likeness amount would be for these kids when they're in teenagers to decide which schools are able to get the best players based on what their name, image, and likeness guarantee would be when they're 16 years old? Well, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I, I haven't figured out a way to, you know, to, to, to combat that, Ross. But, I mean, ultimately, if you're a 11-year-old soccer prodigy, there's a market value for you. And if you're a 14-year-old tennis prodigy, we all watched Coco Graf this summer, you know, agape a and in awe of her talent. And, a you know, the top 100 American men's basketball players, probably the top 150 would be able to get some compensation. Now, is it from the car dealership in Carbondale? Is it from, you know, the Fayetteville Booster Club? Is it autographs at the mall? Uh, all of that would have to be monitored, I would think, to some extent. 
Um, but I, I do think it would become exactly what you say, that the, that the blue blood programs that can align their booster sponsors, et cetera, to help lure the top recruits would, would use that as an advantage and they would go. And it would essentially, to me, bring above ground the, uh, you know, the, the black market. Um, I, I will say this, a lot of people don't realize, I, I was, uh, had lunch with an athletic director this week at a lot of these SEC schools, you know, now obviously Tua is getting a very raw into this deal. All right. Jersey sales, the whole bit. Tua could be a millionaire by now. There's no doubt. The right guard, for example, the backup right guard, not to pick on lineman Ross, you know, he gets about $40,000 a year with a Pell Grant. That's not, that's not, you know, between 30 and 40,000. That's not a terrible amount of money for a college kid who's also getting a, a, you know, $50,000 education, depending on where you go, could be up to almost 80 at uh, USC. So again, I'm not saying let's not let these guys do that, but I do think there needs to be a general awareness on the landscape that a majority of college football players are making out right now. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, because you were tiptoeing there, something Mark Emmert said himself earlier this week. He said one or two guys will be making some significant amount of money Nobody else will. Jay Billis called that laughable. Is he right, though, ultimately? Emmert has been wrong about a lot of stuff, but will, will it only be maybe two or three guys per team? No. No, it's way more than one or two. Wait, well, if you took football and basketball, what do you think Zion was worth last year? I mean, Zion, Zion should have had $30 million in the back. Now, he's the anomaly, but if you're a starter oh, I mean per at team. two. Per team. What was that? One or two I mean guys per team. Per team. Yeah. One or two guys, it's more than one or two guys per team. Because every kid who goes to play in the SEC would, would be worth, I don't want to say six figures per kid, but those networks could rally around and give each of those a significant amount of money that could probably change their family's paradigm for the most part. So, um, I yeah, I, I do think it would really impact. When you hear about kids, you know, making recruiting choices over like two grand more in uh, cost of attendance, I mean, I think that Emirates statement was a little bit naive to the realities of who some of these kids are and where they're coming from. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Pete, it seems like a couple weeks ago we had John and we were talking about the college football slate and I wasn't impressed. I wasn't excited about it. And here we are again. Um, you know, tell me what games I should be excited about, Pete. <laughs> we picked uh we picked games on our uh yahoo college podcast this week and one of them was on espn plus i think it was k-state oklahoma state and i was like you know it's a bad week when we're picking one of the top five games and it's on an espn channel that most people don't even know how to get um what am i excited about this week um i'll, I'll start with i'm excited to see wake forest uh which again may support your point better than anything else they play at boston college i think this is a very good top 20 type Wake Forest team, Jamie Newman. I, I imagine you've had one or two of their games, Ross, because they played on Fridays. I could be wrong. Have you seen them yet? Yeah, I did the uh, I did the game between Wake Forest and Rice. So I met okay. with Jamie Newman and Justin Sternad, and I watched their game the week before against Utah State. They are good. Their receivers yeah. are good. It feels like Clawson's been building for this. I, I think you're going to say you think they're a top 20 team, and I agree. Yeah. Um, I actually am very excited. Uh, uh, the game that probably by a point spread the closest that I saw this week is uh, Baylor and Iowa State. Baylor's like a very quiet 3-0, coming off a bye week, uh, haven't played anybody, uh, Rice UTSA in a, in a 1AA. And then Iowa State obviously lost that uh, very quintessential Iowa-Iowa State game a couple weeks ago with game day, Carson King game. And uh, they have seemed to have found themselves on offense a little bit. So they obviously are going to go to Waco. I think Baylor is a lot better than people say. Baylor's an underdog at home. I think that's one of those, you know, kind of sneaky good games that, uh, that, that we like to talk about here. And look, I am super bummed that Utah and Washington State doesn't have two undefeated teams. Because that basically would have been two top 10 or maybe top 12 teams. Salt Lake City buzzing. You've got all those dudes on the youth defense who are NFL guys. I really felt like that could have been this week's thumper game. Totally lame of game day to go to Nebraska, by the way. That, that to me, was just like, <laughs> all right, we're going to get 50,000 zombies walking through the cornfields being like, we don't care if Nebraska is going to be four and eight again. We're going to go, we're going to hold up signs and uh, 
yeah, so that I just think that was like a, a lame brand play more than anything because I think Ohio State wins that game by 30. Yeah, you can't go do game day where a team is a 17-point dog. You just can't do it. You should have a point spread minimum where you can't do game day there. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's happening with the University of Kansas. You'll talk about this in the podcast with uh, Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel, the Yahoo College Sports podcast. Uh, so there are three level one accusa- allegations at the University of Kansas. Their relationship with Adidas Central here and a bag man who is essentially paying players to go to Kansas. Do you have any sense of what might be the type of punishment the NCAA will want to level? You know, it's it's a great question, Dave. And so we, we did a story yesterday on Yahoo that the two-year anniversary of the initial arrests in the scandal was yesterday, was Thursday. So, and in those two years, I've been asked some approximation of the question you just asked me no less than 5,000 times. And I'm not even exaggerating. All anyone wants to know is what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And so it's a roundabout way for me to say, like, we actually now, this week, two years later, have a sense of what's going to happen. Now, there's still a whole other process. They have to bat the letters back and forth. The Committee on Infractions has to meet. But if there's one takeaway from this letter is that the NCA is investigating Kansas and it's heart attack serious. I, uh, I read the, the contents of the letter to a compliance officer, a veteran guy in the space, because that is a convoluted space, right? And he said to me, basically, the lack of institutional control, head coach responsibility for self, and the three level one allegations, he said, that's basically the trifecta. Just hearing that gives me anxiety. So is it safe to say multiple year postseason bans are on the table? Definitely. Is it safe to say Bill Self could be suspended or, or uh, to the point where he'd have to lose his job, I would say right now that's in play. Now, look, the only winner in this whole thing has been the lawyers and the lawyers are going to work and the lawyers are very good at beating the NCAA. Um, the, the anomaly of this case and the upcoming cases is that the NCAA has never had better evidence because it's not some aggrieved party who says one thing. He said, she said the text messages. They have Gasnola's bank records paying the mother of a Kansas recruit. Like they have the bank records. Like, I don't think there's, in a lot of ways, ever been more evidence, clear-cut evidence. Now, they're going to argue that Gasnola was not a booster of the university, et cetera, but, like, common sense says, okay, you were out buying players for Bill Self and texting with him essentially about buying players and why that's important to Kansas's relationship with Adidas. So, to me, if the, if the NCAA doesn't find punitive findings from this case, they never will because they will never be served on a federal silver platter the amount of evidence that they have right now. They are coming guns ablazing at the University of Kansas. That will be a huge story to follow. Follow Pete Thamel on Twitter. Listen to the College Sports Yahoo podcast. It's outstanding. Pete, thanks for being on. Enjoy the weekend. David Ross, thank you guys. Always, always fun. All right, coming up in just a bit, just how big is this Patriots-Bills game in Buffalo? Well, we'll go to the home market and talk to Sal Capaccio of 550 WGO there in Buffalo and ask about a tradition that Ross Tucker mentioned early in this program. Does he know its origins? We're back after a quick break on a Friday home and home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 